From Movendi International, I am Mike Dünnbier. Welcome to the Elkhood Issues podcast in our 20th episode. Today, we have another special episode and I am excited to welcome Kristina Sperkova back on the podcast. We want to use this special episode to reflect on the recent joint event during the 74th World Health Assembly about alcohol policy, COVID-19 and building back better. My conversation with Christina was recorded on June 11th, 2021 and the event itself took place on May 27th. For the 20th episode of the Alcohol Issues podcast, we welcome Kristina Sperkova. Kristina is the international president of Movendi International. And Movendi International is the largest global social movement for development through alcohol prevention. More than 130 member organizations from more than 50 countries work together to address alcohol as obstacle to development in the most comprehensive way. During the 74th session of the World Health Assembly, Movendi International, together with the NCD Alliance, the World Health Organization Regional Office for Europe, and the Pan American Health Organization, PAHO, jointly hosted a virtual side event with the title Lessons for Alcohol Policy from the Coronavirus Crisis, Potential and Challenges for Building Back Better. The event brought together high-level decision-makers from member states, WHO regions and opinion leaders from civil society and intergovernmental organizations to discuss the role of alcohol prevention and control for building back better in the coming months and years. I talk with Christina about key insights and the most important lessons that were discussed during the event. I ask Christina, for example, to reflect on the analysis that each of the speakers shared and what she thinks the highlights were. More than a year into the global pandemic, we aimed at taking stock of global and regional experiences and knowledge around alcohol and the coronavirus crisis. We will also hear from the speakers themselves with crucial facts, succinct explanations and powerful quotes. And I talk with Christina about the crucial lessons learned for the way forward. In the event, the speakers collectively map the needs for addressing alcohol harm going forward. And they shared lessons learned to come out of the crisis and into a better future with the help of alcohol policy. Hello, Christina, and a warm welcome to this special episode of the Alcohol Issues podcast. Hi, Mike. Good morning, and uh, thank you. I'm really happy that we have the chance to talk. Um, and today we will, for this special episode, uh, go back and uh, discuss some of the highlights and some of the lessons learned from our recent joint event during the World Health Assembly. Um, the event was called Lessons for Alcohol Policy from the Coronavirus Crisis, Potential and Challenges for Building Back Better. And Christina, can you, as the moderator from this event, uh, tell us who participated, please? 
we had with us Dr. Maristela Monteiro. She's senior advisor on alcohol and substance abuse in Pan American Health Organization. Then we also had WHO Europe office uh, with us, and uh, the office was represented by Maria Neufeld. Then from Sweden, IOGTNTO, we had alcohol policy advisor Per Leymar. And from NCD Alliance, we had policy and campaign manager Lucy Westerman. And then we also had two governments with us. Uh, from Ministry of Health in Kenya, we had Dr. Mercy Karanja. And from Ministry of Health in Sri Lanka, we had Dr. Rohan Ratnayake. And uh, we also were joined by uh, OECD, and the senior health policy analyst, Michele Cecchini. Thanks, Christina, for this overview of this impressive lineup. And I think if we just summarize it, um, we can see that we have, um, so to say, representatives of uh, key reports, um, as well as representatives from uh, countries to talk about the country experience, and then representatives to talk about the regional, the World Health Organization perspective on the whole issue. And I think it's just important to say that this event was uh, jointly organized, co-hosted together with the World Health Organization Regional Office for Europe, um, NCD Alliance, uh, Movendi International, and the Pan American Health Organization, PAHO. So, um, and what we wanted to do in the event or with the event is uh, take stock of the knowledge and experiences that we have all gathered, so to say, in the last year uh, about the lethal interaction between alcohol and the coronavirus crisis, and then actually to discuss the way forward. What are the lessons learned um, for addressing alcohol, using alcohol policy solutions to build back better and come stronger out of the crisis? And I think what you and I can do um, to, you know, bring this kind of uh, fully packed session. I think we spent more than 90 minutes um, with these speakers to bring this uh, to the listeners. I would just like to ask you, Christina, for some of the highlights um, from each of the uh, presentations. Um, and I think that's where we could start. And uh, I think then we will go and uh, talk a little bit about lessons and options for the way forward uh, as the bigger picture. But if we could get going, um, maybe with Maristella, Christina, what are the key insights that uh, Maristella uh, provided from the Pan-American uh, perspective? Yeah, so one very important fact that the, the pandemic had helped everyone to realize is that we are really behind when it comes to implementation of alcohol policies and it would really be helpful during the pandemic to have them in place and uh, enforced. So she mentioned that the minority of countries has actually a national alcohol policy in the Americas. Uh, WHO uh, launched in 2018 uh, an initiative called SAFER that uh, includes the five uh, most cost-effective uh, in interventions that can be used. Uh, 
and uh, to stimulate country action. And includes the three best buys plus uh, drink driving policies and uh, services in primary care, such as screening and brief interventions. Uh, we have a very low rate of countries that uh, are implementing those uh, five policies. Uh, we just saw uh, information from Brazil, uh, for example, that actually there was an increase in 5% above 2019 in the sales of alcohol, in the volume of alcohol sold uh, in 2020. Uh, and that was an increase not seen since 2014. And it is very worrisome. Before the pandemic, countries were um, weak, weakly prepared in terms of really this lack of um, alcohol policy presence or written um, national policies being developed. And I think that is um, very important, of course, that the World Health Organization in the Americas region talks about this. And I think we'll get back to this also thanks to the OECD report uh, to really um, highlight how important alcohol policy is uh, coming out of for coming out of the crisis, but as you were saying, also for actually being prepared for these kinds of crises, disasters, shocks to the system. Maristella talked about that there is a, that they see an increase in domestic violence and child abuse. Um, at the same time, there is also, of course reduction in uh, some forms of alcohol harm, like uh, public violence. Uh, of course, if alcohol outlets are closed, um, bars and restaurants, then uh, no violence um, occurs around these spaces. But I think that means that uh, the norm is changing. So consumption sites are changing. Those who are exposed to the consequences of alcohol consumption um, are also changing. What this also means is then um, that more children and young people are exposed to alcohol consumption. So alcohol is being normalized much more, both uh, through the behavior of parents and adults, but also uh, through the behavior, through the practices of the alcohol industry, um, investing heavily in uh, online marketing in this kind of presence. So through the pandemic, um, the alcohol industry has even further reaches into the rooms of children, um, into the thoughts and attention um, of children, so normalizing this kind of marketing. What are the, uh, the issues that we need to be looking at uh, on alcohol policy looking forward? First, the online sales, delivery uh, of alcohol uh, have uh, scaled up tremendously and they may continue as, uh, as a new normal. And that undermines uh, the purpose of alcohol policy in reducing alcohol availability uh, to decrease the harm. We need to keep the current policies and not go backwards. And we also need to step up training of professionals and availability of services, be them online or in person, uh, because uh, there is a great need for that and a, a big gap. 
uh, that uh, got worse with the pandemic. And also, the info, you know, health literacy is very important as well, not only the misinformation, uh, but uh, people have interest in knowing what are the harms related to, to alcohol. I think this is an important point, um, both in terms of understanding what has happened before and what are the risks and dangers um, with these kind of uh, developments that we are seeing now after the pandemic. So should we move on and um, try to uh, condense what Maria talked about for the European region? What were the uh, highlights um, from uh, the analysis of the European WHO region? So Maria was talking about the chronological development of their action when it comes to uh, the pandemic and what to do about alcohol. And she mentioned that in the beginning, it there was a big uncertainty, like how to address alcohol policy. We could also see that alcohol was sometimes even promoted as a, as a tool or something that can help to prevent or kill the virus, which was really dangerous. Of course, it was a myth that was spreading and the WHO Europe had to st like started dealing with it. So they have actually issued an, uh, a manual or a, or a brief about this and uh, rec recommendations actually on how to, uh, how to deal with alcohol, that alcohol is not an essential uh, product during the pandemic and really talking about that it should not be consumed as a uh, as a medicine uh, or a preventive tool and also they recommended policies that should help and that government would actually adopt very fast if they if they would want to avoid this collision of those two uh, huge problems the pandemic and alcohol harm we did um, a fact sheet together with our colleagues from PAHO um, and uh, from EMRO and also from um, HQ and for me, I think like this was one of the best uh, projects, to be honest, or experiences I had while working um, on on um, on that topic, or maybe in WHO <laughs> in general, because I think like this is very symbolic that uh, in response to that really uncertainty, uh, we really pulled our resources together and we reacted very quickly, and we did something that was very simple. Uh, addressing the general public and really um, bringing across those messages saying like, no, alcohol will not protect you from the virus. And uh, the only thing you can use it for is for, um, well, <laughs> disinfecting your hands. We have also issued uh, uh, an FAQ, Frequently Asked Questions uh, Guide, that was more targeting the policymakers because we really wanted also to bring our messages across to the decision makers and really support them and in making, <laughs> let's say, the right decision. Uh, we really wanted to give them the information, to give them the evidence and really um, uh, communicate that uh, during lockdowns, the last thing we need is loosening the legislation of alcohol control policies so people can drink alone at home and isolation. Yeah, I think if we see this in... Uh, combination with um, Maristella's analysis from the Americas region that in the Americas, the countries um, 
a minority of countries has actually an, a national alcohol policy and in the European region also um, Maria highlighted their analysis that countries didn't know how to respond to alcohol um, as the pandemic uh, swept over our societies. I think it really underlines what you also said earlier, Christina, this uh, potential of preparation, but also the lack of preparation because of the lack of um, alcohol policy solutions being in place and this kind of readiness there. And I think then, as you were saying, um, both regions, but highlighted here through Maria and uh, WHO in the European region, they acted very swiftly. I think they were able to respond very swiftly to the myths that were circulating, as you were saying, but also to the need of governments and even individual people to figure out how to uh, respond. So um, I think this uh, conversation about should alcohol be essential, should alcohol uh, retail be an essential service, I think that was very important that WHO um, came out already in April last year with clear guidance uh, for member states. Entities uh, as the preconditions that people have and then COVID on top of that and uh, those NCDs, non-communicable diseases, we know that alcohol is a big risk factor for that. I think for me what was important um, in her presentation and in the work of WHO is really the, I think, emphasis of the three best buys um, in alcohol policy um, and the focus on that actually th throughout the pandemic, alcohol consumption should reduce and governments should take active action there and uh, alcohol taxation plays a role, even um, regulating alcohol marketing plays a role and maybe most obviously alcohol availability plays a role. But I think both presentations from Maristella and Maria, they really build on each other. Like we were saying, Maristella um, sharing this analysis that marketing is becoming more uh, prevalent. Children are even more exposed through online marketing. And uh, then the WHO recommendation that that should be addressed by governments to protect people here uh, in this dimension, for example. Moving on in the conversation, um, what I think was special about our event is that we brought together three experts um, talking about three unique reports, in my opinion, covering actually all the dimensions of what needs to be understood um, in terms of the lethal interaction between alcohol and the coronavirus crisis. So we had uh, Per Leymar. Um, of IOGT-NTO, who is supporting a researcher's group um, that wrote, I think, a landmark report on um, alcohol and COVID-19. Then we had uh, Lucy Westerman from the NCD Alliance, as you said, uh, who uh, spoke to the lessons learned from their analysis that they conducted together with the Spectrum Research Consortium about how the alcohol industry and other unhealthy industries are uh, trying to exploit um, the pandemic. And then we had Michele Cecchini from the OECD with the most recent uh, report about 
I think alcohol harm and alcohol policy and the evidence around uh, the efficacy of alcohol policy. But even they included a special editorial in this report on the potential of alcohol policy for building back better. So I think that is that was awesome that we could bring all those uh, together and to systematize this conversation a little bit. Christina, what were the highlights, the key points from Pear's uh, presentation? What was this report about? So as you said, uh, Pear was talking about uh, how alcohol depresses the immune system functioning. Uh, and it, I think it's very useful information, like it really explains what's happening in the body uh, when alcohol enters and COVID enters. Alcohol increases the, the uh, number of these ACE2 receptors uh, on human cells, so it gives coronavirus more entry points into the cells and then thereby risk increasing the, the, the illness or the severity of the illness. But alcohol also influences sort of the other parts of the immune system. Uh, and for instance, the adaptive part of the immune system where alcohol you know, inhibits uh, the, the, uh, the functioning of, of these cells as well as the production of antibodies. So alcohol has several effects on, on the immune system, which sort of is one aspect of its role uh, in, in the so he talked about the immune system of a human being and then he also talked about the health system and how it's really weakened by uh, alcohol harm or like the the burden from alcohol consumption then uh, and how really uh, dangerous it is during the pandemic when we need every single uh, bed in hospitals to be free alcohol outside of any pandemic has a considerable burden on, on healthcare as it's in alcohol increases the transmission and the severity of, of the disease it gives an added burden on, on healthcare during this pandemic in a situation where we need all the resources we can manage to, to take care of, of, of the pandemic the hospitalizations from alcohol in, an, in a normal year, an ordinary year with no pandemic, is actually greater than the, the number of COVID-19 hospitalizations. Yeah, thanks, Christina. And I think this is um, a very important point uh, that Per highlighted that you bring up here. There is this individual dimension. So alcohol really depresses immune system functioning, like you're saying. And there is the societal, the collective, the community dimension um, where alcohol burdens the functioning of our health system. So we, we cover, we, we have to be aware of both these uh, dimensions. And I think that's another really good explanation for why this uh, fast response from the World Health Organization is so important, both advising individuals how they can reduce their risk and advising governments how they can also reduce the risk, curb the spread of the virus, but really improve their health system response. Agreed. And like it's all interconnected. And I think that was uh, even shocking for me to hear 
that the alcohol attributable so-called ordinary hospitalizations were larger than COVID-19 hospitalizations in 2020. And then he also, also mentioned, of course, the recommendations for policies and also uh, mentioned the industry behavior. But as you said, then we can go deeper into the industry when we talked about uh, the Spectrum and NCT Alliance report. The most common policy response from, from governments uh, seems to have been to limit or ban on-trade sale, that is, the serving of alcohol in, in restaurants and bars because of, of the role of, of transmission of the disease in, in those circumstances. And another trend is where areas or, or countries where it hasn't been allowed, governments have allowed internet sales and home deliveries, either from stores or from restaurants, either from off-trade or, or on-trade establishments. We recommend governments to sustain or and strengthen established alcohol regulations. Alcohol consumption has played a crucial role during the pandemic for transmission and propagation. And the temporary policy changes where you have allowed things that were not allowed before should be reversed after the, the pandemic. So to avoid a, a, a lasting and negative legacy of the pandemic. And the report ends with a decision makers should consider the total impact of alcohol consumption across different economic and social areas, rather than looking at the interest of a selected sector, in this case, the alcohol sector. What I thought is important uh, from uh, pairs uh, reflections and analysis is this deregulation agenda. The alcohol industry always tries to weaken existing alcohol policy models and systems, but they really use the pandemic to advance this kind of decade-old deregulation agenda. They were advocating for um, uh, alcohol being declared an essential product or alcohol retail being declared an essential service. And uh, Christina, were they doing other things in terms of uh, this attempt to weaken alcohol policies? Yes, they were also liberalizing internet sale and home delivery and also really wanted to permit takeaway from on-trade establishments. So, yeah, the easiest way how to get alcohol and then bring it home. And it's also connected to what you were talking about in the beginning and asked about the, the takeaway from Maristella, like the change of the norm then. So the alcohol industry has been doing everything possible for alcohol to move to homes of people and become a, really a daily feature in their lives. Exactly. So what the alcohol industry is attempting to do is completely diametrically opposite to what WHO has been recommending both to uh, people and governments. And, and so for WHO, the recommendation is, of course, evidence-based in terms of reducing the availability. Um, and the alcohol industry has really worked hard, uh, lobbied aggressively to make alcohol even more available. So through weakening rules around uh, on-demand delivery, internet, uh, alcohol retail, but even this kind of uh, where bars had to close, the alcohol industry wanted to um, weaken those rules there that would allow 
take-home alcohol, for example. So really a completely opposite uh, effort here to make alcohol um, more available. And I think, Christina, what you mentioned before is very important here also to bring back this uh, concern about, well, we have already pre-existing problems, but now new problems are added. And uh, uh, this combination then, so for example, here, uh, bars, restaurants, they will open again, but the on-demand delivery, the, the yeah. internet retail, that will stay. So yeah. alcohol availability is likely to increase with this kind of lobbying effort of the industry. Yeah, exactly. I don't see it going away, unfortunately. Then we had Lucy and uh, the signaling virtual report um, that showed even another dimension of how the alcohol industry is trying to exploit the crisis that we are living through. And what stood out for you from Lucy's um, analysis? So Lucy was talking about different strategies of the industry during the pandemic, how to get alcohol into people's minds and homes. Across the different industries, we saw similar strategies and tactics. So they were adapting their marketing promotions and increasing availability. They were enhancing their corporate social responsibility activities. Um, they were do, undertaking activities that would shape policy environments, as, as has been heard a little bit earlier. And they were also pursuing partnerships um, and collaboration with all sorts, with governments, with civil society organisations, uh, with schools, with anywhere that they could position themselves for a benefit. Position themselves as part of the solution, creating um, social distancing apps and, and gimmicks that would get a bit of PR spin. They were very fast in adapting their marketing and promotions. And then she presented really several examples um, uh, how they were actually even, for example, uh, comparing uh, alcohol to air. And the one that I felt particularly uncomfortable seeing came from Brazil with this um, inverted logo of the cast and beer brand looking like a pair of lungs, which everyone knows was quite vulnerable with, with the coronavirus. And the slogan they attached to that was, good beer is like air, you can't live without it. And then, of course, all the corporate social responsibility where they were giving out uh, like uh, their, their products, actually. And then, of course, hand sanitizers and uh, creating the ma masks and, of course, putting their logos on that. So it's combined with the marketing. Then how in return <laughs> they expected policies to change, actually, or they were really shaping them. And what we have mentioned, like really lobbying for alcohol to be an essential product then uh, lowering taxes during this, during this uh, period. And also they were creating different partnerships with different uh, civil society organizations or even other agencies to, uh, to, to present themselves as responsible corporate citizens. Yeah, thanks for this summary. And uh, of course, the signaling virtual report in itself, uh, Lucy's, uh, I think, presentation during the event, uh, they did a fantastic job of, I think, illustrating this kind of overreach and the greed of the alcohol industry and other health harmful industries there um, that you have now mentioned. So let's just say, I think, 
just in terms of numbers, what the signaling virtual report achieved is to get uh, 760 submissions of um, unethical marketing practices of the alcohol industry, I think the junk food industry, several of these industries that are fueling the NCDs epidemic um, around the world. So 760 in total and uh, 363 um, among those are about alcohol industry conduct. So that is almost half. And I, I think for me, that was surprising to hear from Lucy and surprising to read in, in the report that people in the communities around the world react. Otherwise, I think they wouldn't submit this to Spectrum and NCD Alliance. So just that there is really this kind of obvious onslaught of uh, marketing and CSR practices of the alcohol industry in communities around the world. Absolutely. And what we can just say is that this, um, this activity continues. So NCD Alliance and Spectrum are collecting more examples and will follow up. And the second point that you raised here, I think there is some really shocking example from, uh, for example, Uganda. But you said that the industry is, uh, you know, promoting these partnerships and uh, deploying corporate social responsibility initiatives like hand sanitizers and, and whatnot, but they actually expect something in return. So this is not, we are not seeing corporate altruism. We are seeing an investment in uh, something that actually allows them to promote their brands. But what they want in return is um, uh, allowing online alcohol retail, allowing on-demand delivery, freezing the alcohol um, duty, for example, declaring alcohol essential. So that's why I said this is uh, this combination of marketing activity with uh, political interference is uh, really on display here. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely agree. So, and I can also imagine the situation. So the pandemic explodes and then the governments are in shock, which is very sad that the governments are really not ready for this situation. So they actually make themselves dependent on whatever external help there is. And then the alcohol industry is there and the easiest thing for them is actually to produce hand sanitizers and provide them uh, as a present or provide them for the governments and start building this kind of uh, relationship. Of course, it's not a new relationship like many, they were connected also before somehow, but this just strengthened it. And then, yeah, then the governments are standing there and taking whatever they get to be able to handle the situation. Yeah, and um, we issued a statement of concern, I think, uh, also in April or maybe even already late March about alcohol industry activity during um, the pandemic, because we could see that these things were emerging very, very rapidly. And uh, one of the things that we were cautioning about is that the alcohol industry should not get free PR and uh, decision makers like you are saying now they should focus on you know long-term sustainable solutions not these short-sighted responses where they are actually causing more harm than good these kinds of partnerships with the alcohol industry and I think unfortunately as uh, Lucy was showing 
um, that, that kind of concern was not really taken into account. Too many governments um, entered these uh, partnerships or promoted the alcohol industry without consideration of the wider public health effects. I think Lucy had a powerful uh, quote. The alcohol industry, even listening to the other speakers, is one that will stop at nothing to position their brands and their products as essential parts of our communities, of our cultures, and as solutions to the pandemic. And they are not. They are part of this problem. They are part of so many other problems. And governments must beware. And they must put public health priorities ahead of the profit interests of these industries. Industry is um, uh, positioning this kind of carcinogenic, psychoactive, toxic, addictive substance as a solution uh, to a public health crisis. For me, it, it's uh, uh, shocking. I'm at a loss of words that this is at all possible in the 21st century still with everything we know about alcohol, but it also shows this overreach. And in my opinion, they have gone too far, you know, um, advertising alcohol as a coping tool uh, for people during the pandemic when this is clearly something that WHO has advised against people doing. Yeah, I can only agree with you. And But I'm also reflecting like in what kind of society we are living. You know, if someone would come uh, on TV screens and tell, told me that uh, the uh, like dirty water, a little bit contaminated uh, from something that is it would be really also uh, carcinogenic is a solution for me. I wouldn't take it, you know. But like the so it's really combination of this very strong alcohol norm that we have in societies plus very weak policies and plus complete freedom in a way <laughs> of uh, of marketing apparently that the industry. Um, can just do. And uh, that brings us then also to the country perspectives. Um, what would you say are the key points or the, the highlights uh, from uh, Dr. Karanja's um, uh, contribution and the experience in Kenya? What I really appreciated with the, from Dr. Karanja's contribution was that she focused on mental health. And because we could uh, hear many other countries also talking about mental health deteriorating during the pandemic, but not addressing alcohol uh, there. And she was very good at that. And then she was also mentioning telehealth and uh, like yeah, different uh, health applications that will help people to get the first help or get over the, the lowest threshold in finding some, some help in solving the, these problems. But she also expressed the concerns about uh, opening bars uh, after the pandemic or uh, even, even during the pandemic, but now when the regulations are being a little bit uh, loosened and people rushing into bars and um, being exposed actually to really... Uh, the high episodic uh, alcohol use as well. So what she said is that we actually, they need to be also prepared for that and have some measures in place. And when the, the, the bars and restaurants were opened, we found out there was another upside of people rushing to binge drink. So a lot of binge drinking also is happening now that the, the economy has partially been reopened. Because we are looking at how we're going to develop a national strategy 
uh, on the control of uh, and prevention of alcohol use. So we are uh, in a good stage right now with the support also of WHO, and we are hoping that we can, uh, you know, harness the the interventions and, and participation of stakeholders to provide uh, for us uh, maybe technical support, uh, maybe other resources that we may need on the prevention of alcohol use. And of course, to keep the government accountable in the implementation and enforcement of the laws that are there, we need the civil society organization to keep the government in check as well. Yeah, thanks, Christina, for this summary. Um, I think we have to say that Kenya as a country uh, among the low and middle income countries um, is probably one of those that are best positioned um, to deal with the lethal interaction between alcohol and the coronavirus crisis because of the alcohol law that they have in place, uh, the Motudu law, uh, I think since 2010. But I think that puts Kenya in, in a good position. They have uh, expert knowledge there. But what I liked from what you said uh, as a, I think an important analytical point is really this readiness uh, conversation at um, Dr. Karanja brought up. So earlier we talked about the lack of readiness because not, uh, not enough countries have actually a written alcohol policy in place. Kenya is different here compared to many America's countries, for example. So that is uh, one dimension of readiness. And the other dimension of readiness is then, can the healthcare system provide mental health support to people struggling with alcohol use. And like uh, Maria and Maristella already showed that there are in every population, at least there is some group uh, that transitions to alcohol use disorder and addiction because they have been heavy users before already. That is a concern in Kenya. So we have these two issues for readiness that I thought are very important for um, uh, Dr. Karanja to really highlight there. Yeah, I agree with you. And then also, if we just reflect that, uh, for example, the access to treatment is um, very low, even when there is no pandemic, like there are many countries that do not even have any state system when it comes for to treatment, and it's really left up known to civil society organizations or some individuals <clears throat> who would like to help. So... This is a very good point, and, and that's why I really appreciate it that they really consider it and are finding new ways, as, such as, for example, telehealth for alcohol use disorders and alcohol brief interventions. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, uh, the, the online tools that are available, um, they should also help to make services, help and support for people uh, more available. So... Uh, that will be great to see um, how Kenya uh, can lead on this uh, for countries in the low and middle income uh, world. Um, as Kenya already is a champion, as I said, for alcohol policy development and implementation. And another champion for alcohol policy, really regionally, but also globally, is uh, Sri Lanka. So. Uh, I think we were honored to have uh, Kenya with us and Sri Lanka. And what uh, do you think were the highlights from Dr. Ratnayake's uh, contribution, Christina? 
I think the, the real highlight was when Dr. Ratnayake reflected on the situation in Sri Lanka um, when it comes to the pandemic, uh, how the behavior of people has been and how also the industry has behaved. And that what he said is that uh, they would like to increase alcohol tax uh, and because of its uh, impact on several levels, like decreasing alcohol consumption, but also generating uh, revenues that can be then invested uh, again in public health. So we all know that alcohol-related harm is a serious health and social issue. And it's an impediment to the uh, human development. Uh, the estimated present value of uh, economic cost of the alcohol-related conditions for Sri Lanka in 2015 was uh, 886 US dollars, uh, US, uh, yeah, US dollars million, uh, 886. This is 1.1 percent of our GDP for that year. Social media, which have involved in promoting alcohol consumption, are difficult to contain. New strategies to curb the, this trend and mechanisms to counteract the company tactics have to be taught to persons involved in alcohol prevention. We have plans to formulate taxation policy for the government within this year. They really brought home um, the understanding of what the pandemic does to the national budget of a government to the health system and of course to the health of the people and here we see a government that is looking for the best evidence-based solution to then turn this situation around and of course uh, Sri Lanka like Kenya has a track record here they also have an alcohol and tobacco act um, I think it's uh, adopted uh, even a little bit earlier than Kenya so this is, uh, of course, this conversation about alcohol taxation that Dr. Ratna Yake brought up, uh, I think is one of the key topics then as analysis, as a lesson learned, and then also for, for the way forward. And probably that brings us then also to um, the highlights from the OECD and Michele Cecchini's um, presentation he was last but not least in our event and Christina do you have um, do you have a reflection about Michele's presentation the most recent uh, OECD report um, in terms of lessons uh, learned and, and highlights Yes, and you, as you are saying, it was really the, it was then very fresh report uh, out of the press. Um, the, the event and um, what was very good to have it there is that he answered uh, partially because it, they have analyzed only OECD countries of course but there was an answer about what happened with the alcohol consumption during the pandemic and as we said like we were in the beginning of the pandemic we were guessing what would happen we were hoping or like we we're discussing the availability how it will influence uh, and the, the social and of course the norm then we could also, of course, see is that the norm has been changing. The availability has been also changed during the pandemic. But he then has uh, numbers about uh, where in which groups alcohol use increased and in which groups it uh, decreased. So it, that's a very 
useful information that we again like need to then act upon that there has been an impact uh, uh, of covid-19 on drinking behaviors and patterns uh, and also correlated harm in OECD countries that the volume of consumption is likely increase most people did not change their drinking about but among those that did a larger proportion increased consumption and the fact that there may have been a small increase in consumption Uh, there was a, a huge shift in the place of consumption unsurprisingly hospitality sectors hotels bars the restaurants were severely hit by the policies that were put in place uh, uh, to uh, prevent the spread of the virus at the same time uh, retail stores and e-commerce in particular saw huge increase in sales for example in the united states uh, at the beginning of 2020 there was a 234% increase compared to 2019 in online purchases uh, some groups uh, are of particular interest and are those that are hit the most uh, by uh, by this risk factor uh, to public health uh, in particular literature would suggest the women parents of young children people with higher income individuals with depressed and anxiety symptoms report the high, highest increase in alcohol consumption and then what was another great highlight was what to do about this so then they present a prevention package and they are also showing how much uh, the government will actually gain by investing in alcohol policy measures in particular our analysis suggests that a uh, package uh, including policy enforcement to limit alcohol related injuries and violence protecting children from alcohol promotion primary care to help patients with harmful drinking patterns and pricing policies to limit the affordability of cheap alcohol if is upscaled in the 48 countries over the next 30 years uh, this could prevent 8.5 million of cases of alcohol related condition avoided per year uh, the healthcare budget uh, would be lowered by about 28 billion US dollar every year uh, due to reduced healthcare expenditure and uh, This looks a very big number but to give you a little bit of context this is equivalent for the uh, about equivalent to the healthcare budget of Israel for example. Uh, we can also restart the economy uh, more quickly and better uh, because uh, uh, the reduction in diseases caused by alcohol consumption will make up, uh, available the equivalent of 3.9 million additional full-time workers per year uh, and uh, and will increase the productivity Finally, this is an excellent investment for countries. We calculated that every dollar invested in this policy package would return in, in economic benefit about 16 US dollars. The OECD is uh, uh, gathering more of the high-income countries. Um, so that is uh, also, I think, important to understand. Um, but what the report shows and i think what uh, michele talked about very well in in his presentation is really the the strong evidence for the potential of uh, alcohol policy solutions even these comprehensive packages of solutions for promoting health for promoting uh, productivity so economic growth that is of course what the oecd also cares about and uh, uh, promoting uh, through these positive impacts on health and the economy a really good way for the recovery after this pandemic so i 
I think that was a very timely report uh, putting uh, this together. And I think that uh, brings us really also to the concluding conversation here between uh, you and I, Christina, about uh, some of the uh, lessons that stand out now um, from, uh, from these discussions. What is the way forward that uh, this event has charted? What would the elements be? What I would say first in general, maybe we'll go then deeper into some is, but uh, the pandemic has shown and we can see it also from this event that we have not been prepared. So we need to be prepared and not only for the pandemic, but on for the ongoing actually situation and then start preventing it when it comes to the alcohol harm uh, in our societies. So we need to be prepared. We need to be able to uh, prevent it and uh, like protect people from that harm. Yeah, thanks, Christina. I think this is a great point. Uh, prepare, prevent, protect, promote, participate. That is uh, from uh, uh, Maristella's uh, lesson learned for the way forward. And I think that is a really good outcome of uh, this overall conversation. We need to get prepared for the next pandemic or emergency uh, with the alcohol policy directives, prevent harm, protect the public, promote health, and participate uh, all in, in uh, promoting alcohol policies. So thanks for bringing this up. And I think we can maybe uh, structure the lessons for the way forward in four categories, norm, policy, the need to regulate the alcohol industry and then the wider system. So um, if we look for a little bit into the lessons learned when it comes to the norms, um, I would say I would say that it's important um, to really draw this conclusion from the pandemic um, that even the World Health Organization talks about denormalizing alcohol use as a part of people's lives and lifestyles. So this is the conversation about availability. There is obviously a policy dimension, but th there are these two uh, efforts here where the alcohol industry, like you said earlier, Christina, is establishing alcohol as an ordinary, maybe even essential part to cope with the uh, pandemic and who, who wants to make alcohol ever more available and present in people's lives. And I think as a lesson to hear this from the World Health Organization, that it's important to work on denormalizing alcohol use here uh, with all the tools that are available. That is, pro I think, a very strong element for the way forward. Yes, Mike, I agree with you. And there we actually had a very strong sta statement from Maria Neufeld from WHO Europe. Uh, she said that alcohol is not a part of healthy lifestyle. Really important to emphasize to say that we're really working closely with colleagues from tobacco control, uh, which is very inspiring, I think. And also uh, uh, with colleagues from nutrition, obesity and physical activity. And it's really our vision to... Um, to look at all these uh, things together and to make sure that people can live longer and healthier lives. And uh, for us, it's absolutely clear that alcohol is simply not part of, of a healthy lifestyle. 
this is so important that WHO has really, I think, stepped up during the pandemic with clear messaging, clear advice, as we said earlier, to governments and to people. And I mean, the evidence is very clear, right? Alcohol uh, causes cancer. Um, for example, there is no safe amount, no healthy amount of alcohol consumption for the brain or for uh, cardiovascular health, uh, for cancer. So this is uh, uh, excellent in terms of norm. We see this conversation emerging, and I think that will be important for the way forward. Um, let's move to the second category here for the way forward, and that would be uh, policy. What are the, uh, the lessons for the way forward in this category, Christina? We need to, if there are policies, we need to at least keep them, uh, if not strengthen them. And if there are no policies in place, then it's really high time to introduce them. We know enough about uh, alcohol policy measures that work and that do not work. So there is not really much to analyze. It's more about taking action. I agree. And I think um, here we have to pick up really the conversation about alcohol taxation. Um, that Dr. Ratnayake from the Ministry of Health in Sri Lanka really highlighted. Um, and just uh, in this whole context of the economic impact of the pandemic um, and uh, the need for governments to raise uh, revenue and alcohol taxation here is a triple win measure. So, of course, we have to uh, select a, a public health approach to alcohol taxation. It helps reduce alcohol consumption and harm, but it also brings in revenue. And I think it's so powerful here because through the prevention and reduction of harm, it reduces costs. And at the same time, it brings in revenue that can be reinvested then. And I think we will talk about the reinvestment dimension when we go to the systems category as a lesson learned. Uh, but for me, the taxation here is a big uh, lesson for the way forward. Um, Christina, do you have any, any other policy uh, lesson uh, in addition to what you just concluded also? We actually need a mechanism that will also protect these policies and also uh, make governments have these policies in place. So something like FCTC, would be really useful, especially, and we could see it again in these times to protect them also from the interference of the alcohol industry in the policy making. Yeah, a global binding treaty. I think everywhere we look, the case just becomes stronger and the need uh, becomes ever more apparent for a global binding treaty. Like we discussed earlier, um, the signaling virtue report really shows the overreach of the alcohol industry the ever more aggressive push into children's lives, into our homes, into every community around the world. And there needs to be protection for the people, but also for the governments who want to, for example, proceed with alcohol taxation. So I think that's, a, that's another very important lesson learned. And Christina, from my perspective, I would go back to these uh, policy packages that the OECD also uh, really highlighted. And that makes me uh, always think of uh, the safer policy blueprint. So the OECD talks about the 
four P's, um, so four measures and the WHO, um, UNDP, um, together with us and other partners, we talk about the safer blueprint and the three best buys and two good buys here. And I think it's so important that um, uh, we use the potential of safer to, um, like you were saying, already prepare for another shock to the system to prevent as much alcohol harm as possible, to protect people as much as possible, to promote uh, health, but also sustainable development, and to do this in a participatory uh, way, like you would, uh, like you said earlier. So that would be, I think, another important lesson from from the event. Cutting alcohol consumption uh, improves the population health, but it's also a good investment for countries. I would say even an excellent investment for countries, uh, because for every dollar invested, countries get back sixteen dollars. Uh, uh, due to uh, improved uh, uh, economy. Um, it's, uh, it's really simply the case to invest in these policies, which are not uh, technically difficult to implement. With this conversation, of course, we have to talk about the third category um, as a lesson, and that is regulating the alcohol industry. So now you already mentioned the need to um, actually look at this globally, transnationally, through a global binding treaty. But are there other lessons in terms of uh, regulating the alcohol industry from our event, Christina? So, Mike, I, what I think is that I have mentioned already that the government should at least keep, if not strengthen, the current policies. And what we could see is that the industry has been really undermining them during the pandemic. Uh, so there has to be a mechanism uh, to protect it from this kind of interference. Uh, the government governments need to uh, be also strengthened and supported in this. And then uh, what we have seen then the emerging uh, or the e-commerce and online marketing that needs to be regulated. Uh, we know that some governments are struggling with it. Uh, they have not been ready for digital marketing. Uh, so this needs to be uh, also really addressed uh, very fast. And then also in general, I would say that the decision makers, they really need to, because of course they are considering everything, uh, like the economic impacts and health impacts and uh, different parts uh, of our lives and like impacts on society. and. They, but they need to really consider the impact of alcohol consumption across like full economic and social spectrums and not see it uh, on, for example, as only as a source of revenue uh, in the country. Because we can also see that this it's not. Uh, it, uh, alcohol harm always costs more than the, the governments are getting. These are important lessons um, in this context of uh, regulating the alcohol industry. So the only thing that I would add here is, um, because I think you have summarized it very well, um, is what uh, Lucy talked about. And that is that governments, uh, policymakers, they need support. And I think they need also guidance um, in how to protect alcohol policy making efforts from interference and uh, from conflicts of interest. We certainly 
feel that across all of these unhealthy industries that are contributing to poor health, we need global mechanisms that protect governments and policymaking from commercial and other vested interests um, and to manage those, the industry interference and influence. And also the responses to the economic crisis and the funding constraints that we've seen also um, should be shaped by a commitment to build back better. So we need to be able to resist the industry pressure to adopt approaches to taxation or trade and regulation and availability that have been um, long proven to be damaging to health uh, and to development. And we can't allow the fox into the hen house um, at this time because that will continue to dilute and undermine incredibly important and evidence-based opportunities for improving and promoting people's health. I don't think that we have enough tools in place. Of course, the global binding treaty, as we discussed, is then the big uh, solution here, as we can see with uh, tobacco control, but we need already for the processes now, if we imagine that um, uh, Sri Lanka uh, will uh, endeavor now to look at alcohol taxation in an evidence-based way, how can we help them or what are the tools that they can use to protect these uh, efforts from alcohol industry interference and from potential conflicts of interest? With this, I think we have gone through three. So I think that brings us to the fourth and final category of lessons learned. And that is the look at uh, the bigger system then. And I just want to pick up here what you already emphasized earlier, Christina, um, the health system. So really the need to uh, strengthen health system capacity, but especially also to do a much better job of um, supporting people with mental health and alcohol use disorder. So uh, what are lessons that uh, the event um, uh, brought out? Yeah, I would also say that it's, of course, we need to strengthen the health systems, but we also need to prevent uh, health, health harm. And that's the best way also how to strengthen the health systems. And what I would add to this is, um, I think, investments in um, these tools that are available now. You mentioned uh, really that that was a strong point uh, of what Dr. Karanja talked about. But I think that that is also the connection between the policy dimension, for example, alcohol taxation, or really investing in the safer alcohol policy blueprint. The return on investment is so substantial that uh, there are resources become available to strengthen the service provision um, for the whole uh, system. And lastly, what you already also touched upon, Christina, I think we are in uh, the decade of action towards achieving the SDGs. And I think it's so important what you uh, summarized earlier, that we need a comprehensive understanding of the harm alcohol causes and the potential of alcohol policy for the entire system. So the economic, the social, the health uh, dimension here, that is, I think, what the several speakers have talked about very clearly and what the event uh, really emphasizes as a key uh, lesson for the way forward. Uh, reducing alcohol consumption is not just about health. It's an overarching um, thing that will affect most of the SDGs, 
So 14 out of 17 as SDGs um, is also uh, incredibly um, impressively uh, um, shown by also by uh, Movendi International. Uh, 14 of 17 goals are actually um, affected by alcohol. So um, I think it's just important to, to keep that in mind. We we're talking not just about uh, health as such. So what I think that the event has done, like it has brought like condensed uh, information that we have uh, all around that the WHO in different regions has. And then the, there are these reports that have now been published and uh, then what civil society has done and uh, the governments, what they, their needs. And I think that's great that it brings it uh, together. And as Dr. Ratnayake uh, said that he uh, sometimes he feels alone, but like an event like this also brings us together and makes him realize that we are many people working on this and solving the problem. The, the, the same feeling I got today so when when we work uh, at the local level right so, so when we start working on alcohol so we feel isolated and we feel we are a minority but while working is going on uh, there are a lot of people to work with us to give hands to help us like that today i feel that we are not isolated and we are not a minority we are a, we are the majority so, so we have a lot of people to work with and to help each other. Thank you. So I think that's also uh, one important aspect of this event. Wow, Christina, thanks for this uh, summary. Um, and uh, I think uh, contextualizing the event, we looked at the lessons learned for the way forward. I think there are strong lessons learned for the way forward. And I think the way you... Uh, place uh, this event now in um, in the work going forward. I think there is now momentum, um, and uh, I think it's also very clear that we have the work cut out for us, everyone together. But I think, like you are saying, um, uh, reminding us of this powerful uh, quote from Dr. Ratnayake, what the event shows is that we are together. We are many, um, and we are supporting each other. So thanks very much, Christina, for uh, this conversation, taking the time to just summarize and remind of the highlights and uh, paving the way really to do more with uh, what we learned from the event. Thank you. Thank you, Mike, very much. It was very nice and I think also very important to sit down and reflect about what we have done and what we have heard. Thank you. This podcast episode is part of Movendi International's work to promote evidence-based alcohol policy development to translate scientific evidence into policy action that protects people and communities from alcohol harm. In the show notes, we share resources and background information, including all three reports that were discussed and the guidance issued by the World Health Organization. If you have feedback, any questions, any suggestions, please get in touch. My email address is mike.dunbier at movendi.ngo. You can also reach me on Twitter and find my contact details in the show notes.
The Alcohol Issues Podcast is made by Arin Pinho, Taraka Ranchigoda, Kristina Sperkova and Mike Dünbier. Our theme music for this episode comes from LF Music. That's it for the Alcohol Issues Podcast this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Stay well and safe and talk to you soon.